Thanks for listening to The Vine. We're a new church in Austin, Texas, with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this sermon helps you in doing that. We are in a new sermon series called Stranger Things, and this is a great way to kick it off, right? That was a bit strange. No, uh... Stranger Things, the reason why we chose to do this sermon series is is twofold. One, it's because there are some really weird stories in our scripture that many of us have never heard or read or studied, Uh, who for which that was the first time you ever heard that story about Balaam and the talking donkey. Raise your hands high, no shame. Awesome. Okay, so the majority of people in this room probably would have heard that story and go, great, that's from some weird Greek mythology. No, it's actually in your Bible. And uh, the reason why we want to study this is not only so that we get familiar with all different parts of the Bible, but there is great significance, meaning, and beauty wrapped in these really bizarre stories that we oftentimes don't look at. The other reason why we're doing this sermon series is to, to in some ways, begin to practice together what is it like to study Scripture. Because in many ways, we really don't talk about how to read the Bible, and we think that it's different for us to read scripture than it might be for us to read an article from GQ or a blog or the newspaper, right? We should read it differently. And so we're going to walk through the sermon series, and sometimes we're going to stop and talk about this is a great way to learn how to read the Bible. And so I want to give you one tool this morning, and it's around this idea that scripture can be three different things for us. It can be a picture, it can be a window, and it can be a mirror. What I mean by, by this, so when you read scripture, it can be like a picture where you study this picture and you're able to, to take a deeper dive into what is actually going on in this story. What is this, the background of what's happening in this context and in this culture? What would this message mean for the people who originally hear it? So when you study scripture, you're looking at different pictures in human history and God's work with those people. But it also can be a window. And a window is, Scripture can teach us how to see this world differently. So the way in which God uses Scripture is that we see these truths that were not just meant for that time, but it also these truths are powerful for us here today. And it forms how we see this world. So when we see Scripture, we look at, at, at this world through this new window, understanding this world differently. And then finally, this is the harder part of Scripture, the part that many times we neglect is scripture is also a mirror. This is from my daughter's room. Don't think that I get ready in the morning with this, but this is my, uh, this is a, here's a mirror. And scripture oftentimes will be used as a mirror where we'll study a piece of scripture and in looking at it, what God is doing is actually showing something about us. We'll read the scripture and it's crazy to me that these words thousands of years old Now speak to me in my life, teaching me who I am, teaching you who you are, pointing out things within me that God's saying, it's time to grow in this area, or did you ever notice this about yourself? Here is a blind spot. And so the beautiful thing about scripture is it's a picture, it's a window, and it's a mirror. And this this scripture reading today is a great example of it. Honestly, I chose this scripture because I, I had heard it, but I'd never studied it before. And so I, in some ways, I was like, well, let's just choose this one because this is a crazy story. Uh, the, the little background to understand the picture 
of this, uh, this passage is that this is in the book of Numbers. The book of Numbers really is a story of how God took the nation of Israel from captivity in Egypt and God was preparing them through this wilderness to get into the promised land. So the book of Numbers really is about their time in the wilderness. The way in which the Jewish tradition speaks of this, this book is not, they don't call it Numbers, they actually call it In the Wilderness. And it's all about how God uses the wilderness to grow and shape us as people. And we could talk a long time about that, but we're not going to this morning. But in this passage, the Israelites are coming towards the end of their journey in the desert. They are on just the other side of the Jordan River. They're looking into the promised land, and they're looking at the, the first city that they're going to conquer, the city of Jericho. And so as they're walking through the wilderness, something is happening. They have, they have had some encounters with some enemies, and they have destroyed two other kingdoms in their marching towards the promised land. And this is really freaking out a guy named Balak. Balak is the king of the Moabites, and he is really nervous. He just saw these Hebrew people, this vast nation of people without a land, and they have just come through and just conquered. And so he's looking at his own, his own uh, position, his own people, and wondering if they will be threatened. It's interesting, they did not choose to fight against the Moabites because they came from the same lineage. And so uh, what we find here is Balak is now concerned about something else. Might this group of people threaten the resources that they need to survive? And so he just saw how Israel was victorious in battle, so he's thinking to himself, I can't beat them in, on the battlefield. How else can I get them? Well, maybe, maybe I will call down curses, and maybe the gods will curse this group of people. And he thinks to himself, who is really good at cursing people? And there is this, spiritual giant named Balaam who is profoundly powerful in calling down curses upon people. One of the ways you can understand who Balaam is, he's a prophet for prophet. He's a swindler. And he's like a, uh, he's like almost like this spiritual hitman. You know, you, you, when all else fails, call in Balaam. He's expensive, but he'll get things done. Almost like, a, you know, like a mafia movie. You've got to call in thumbs if you really want things to get taken care of. And so they call in Balaam, and they reach out to Balaam with this idea, well, maybe Balaam will call down curses. Balaam is a really complicated, multi-layered person. He, as a character, he's really interesting because he's hard to pin down. He's an opportunist. He's a swindler. The word Balaam literally means glutton. He likes taking more and more and more. And so Balak sends a, a group of his delegates to Balaam, asking them to curse this nation of Israel. Numbers 22, we pick up the story. A people have come out of Egypt. They cover the face of the land and have settled next to me. Now come and put a curse on these people because they are too powerful for me. Perhaps then I will be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land. For I know that whoever you bless is blessed, and whoever you curse is cursed. Keep that phrase in your mind. That he's saying to Balaam, I know that you have the power to bless and to curse, so come and work for me, and I'll pay you handsomely. And like a good con man, Balaam in verse 8 says to the messengers, hey, why don't you guys spend the night here, and I will, uh, I will report back to you with the answer that the Lord gives me. And so the Moabite officials stayed with him. In some ways, you could say that what he's saying is, all right, show me your money, 
Great. Now let me go talk to my boss and let me see what he says. Like anytime in negotiations, that's a great way to, I'm sorry, looks like it's going to be double. You know, it's a great way to kind of work the system. But something interesting happens. In verse 9, God came to Balaam and asked, who are these men with you? One key to studying scripture is learning how to ask questions about scripture. In our tradition, in the Christian tradition, sometimes what, what we do oftentimes is we teach people what to believe especially our young people. We give them a scripture passage and we say, this is what this means. In the Jewish Jewish tradition, you know the first thing they teach their young people to do? Probe, ask questions. What is going on here? So for me, one of the questions that I have in this is, why in the world is God speaking to Balaam to begin with? He's not devout. He's not one of the chosen nation. He's not righteous. And yet God is speaking to Balaam. This should give us comfort for those of us who feel far from God, right? That God is taking the initiative to speak to Balaam. But God said in verse 12, but God said to Balaam, do not go with them. You must not put a curse on those people because they are blessed. The next morning, Balaam got up and said to the Balak's officials, go back to your own country for the Lord has refused to let me go with you. Balaam sends him away. These delegates go back to King Balak, and they say, sorry, he's not up for hire on this one. And then King Balak goes, okay, I'm going to send more money, more prominent dignitaries, and maybe, maybe he will change his mind. Let's sweeten the deal a little bit. And then Balaam says, again, you can't pay me enough for this. But in a very weird way, God changes. God changes God's mind and says to Balaam, verse 20, I love weird passages. This is such a weird passage. God says to Balaam, verse 20, that night God came to Balaam and said, since these men have come and summoned you, go with them, but do only what I tell you. So verse 21, Balaam got up in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went, on, uh, went with the Moabite officials. But God was very angry when he went. How temperamental can God be? Just tell me what to do. You can't go with them. Never mind, since they're here now, why don't you go with them? Now as you go, I'm really angry at you. What is behind this text? Is it just God just being, you know, forgetful? Being emotional? Is something else going on? Verse 22, but God was very angry when he went, and the angel of the Lord stood in the road to oppose him. Balaam was riding on his donkey, and the two servants were with him. Why now is God mad? I think it's okay to ponder when there's room within text, when the scripture text. It's okay to imagine. It's okay to ponder as long as you hold it not as the truth. And I wonder if, as Balaam was going along his way, if just his nature started taking over. He heard that, all right, I'm going to send you Balaam, but only do what I say. And along the way, I wonder if Balaam was like starting to scheme a little bit starting to just be the swindler that he had learned to be. How can I be faithful to God but still get a good cut, right? How can I get best of both worlds? And the mirror for me is, how are we like that? Like, how, all right, how can I be faithful to God but still get my cut in this world? How can I have a great option two as well as option one? And we see here that God knows the heart and God opposes Balaam. Uh, in verse 23, this is when the story gets, starts getting really weird. Verse 23, when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand, this is really important to remember also, it turned off 
the road and into a field. Balaam beat it to get back on the road. The storyteller, the divisor of this story, is doing something really funny for me, really poignant. This diviner who has this incredible ability to have a connection with God, this ability to have a spiritual awareness, he's blind to the reality that there is an angel in his way, like right there in front of him. But the donkey can see, right? Like, this is, the, this is the juxtaposition that the writer is doing here, is there's an idea, and this is actually a theme within this whole text, there's blindness, and then there's sight. There's the ability to not speak and the ability to speak. And we see here how God has this ability to open us up, to see, to speak in ways that aren't natural for us. And so, this donkey has the greater spiritual awareness than Balaam. In verse 24, the angel of the Lord stood in the narrow path through the vineyard on the walls on both sides. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it pressed close to the wall, crushing Balaam's foot against it. So Balaam again beat the donkey. Oh, so harsh. Peter would have a hard time with this passage. Verse 26, then the angel of the Lord moved on ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no room to turn, either to the right or the left. Like, how, like, you think God is trying to get his attention, right? Like, with a little bit of spiritual awareness, might God be trying to get his attention? And how clueless, how blind we might be oftentimes when God is stopping us along our path going, hey, hold up, let's take a time out. You're about to walk into trouble. Luckily, our cars might break down just like a donkey would, right? Maybe that would help us out. Verse 27, when the donkey saw the angel Lord, it now laid down underneath Balaam, and he was angry and beat it with his staff. Then the Lord opened the donkey's mouth, and it said to Balaam. So you can stop and go, do you really believe that God opened up a donkey's mouth? There's, there are a lot more crazy things in this passage, I think, than just a talking donkey. And so get the idea of Shrek out of your mind for a little bit. Because I, I talked thought about putting that in there. Uh, I thought maybe we just lose everyone. But I mean, I mean, to be honest, like, who here has ever stared at your pet, your dog, and just thought, please, just one day, God, may you just give me one day where my animal could speak to me. Anyone else prayed that? Am I the only weirdo? God, just give me one day where Marcus would speak, and he would speak with an English accent, because he's an English mastiff. Um, so we see here that God, op- now remember, opening up the donkey's mouth. Remember the theme of opening and being shut. So he opens up the donkey's mouth. In verse 28, and it said to Balaam, what have I done to you? (laughs) I love how, like, uh, this is so funny. Out of anything a donkey could say, what have I done to you to make you beat me these three times? And then Balaam, he just slips into the conversation. (laughs) You've made a fool of me. You have made a fool of me. If only I had a sword in my hand, I would kill you right now. The, 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 fu- the funny thing to me is that there is like literally a, a sword that's drawn right in front of him, an angel's sword. And he's like, if I had a sword right now, I would kill you. Uh, and just, just like that, uh, he was clueless that the fact that there is an angel right before him. And then the donkey said to him in verse 30, am I not your own donkey? which you have always ridden to this day? Have I been in the habit of doing this to you? And Balaam says, no. You know what's more embarrassing than the idea of you talking to your donkey? 
is losing an argument to your donkey. Like, that's so much worse. Like, all right, donkey, you got a good point. You usually don't do this. In verse 31, we pick up with the theme of this story. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes. The Lord opened Balaam's eyes. He saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with his sword drawn. So he bowed low and fell face down. The angel of the Lord asked him, Why have you beaten your donkey these three times? Have I, uh, I have come here to oppose you because your path is a reckless one before me. You're about to get into trouble, and you're about to harm other people. The donkey saw me and turned away from me these three times. If the donkey had not turned away, I would have certainly have killed you by now, but I, but I would have spared it. Right? And then the background, the donkey says, you're welcome, you're welcome. Verse 34, Balaam said to the angel Lord, I have sinned. I did not realize you were standing in the rows to oppose me, road to oppose me. Now, if you're displeased... I will go back. And the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, go with these men, but speak only what I tell you. This makes me think that like he, he didn't get the lesson. The first time when God said, go, but only do what I say, and he goes, and then all of a sudden the Lord sees a reckless path. And so he, see, God actually comes to him again, which is grace. And he says, only speak what I tell you. And um, so Balaam arrives to the king, and, and when he arrives to the king, I love the very first thing he says. He says, well, I've come to the king, asked, where have you been? And he says in verse 38, well, I've, I've come to you now, and Balaam replied, but I can't say whatever I please. I must speak only what God puts in my mouth. From the get-go, he's saying, all right, I have just been told very clearly, I'm going to only speak what God puts in my mouth. Almost like look around for all the angels with swords going, you hear that, everybody? I got the lesson. And then uh, Balaam, after that, uh, he, uh, he, the story gets more weird, more beautiful. It's a really long story. Balak takes Balaam to these different places where, uh, where he's on these mountaintops, and he starts making these pagan sacrifices, which again, I'm like, why would God honor blessings or curses from someone like this? And he goes up these, these mountaintops so that he can see parts of Israel. And what's so crazy to me is why Balaam? Why? I remember as a kid going to amusement parks and as a young kid, like, seeing a really awesome roller coaster and getting in line, waiting in line, then all of a sudden seeing a cardboard cartoon cutout with a finger pointed out saying, you have to be this tall to ride the ride. And thinking, oh, maybe one day we'll come back here and I'll be able to ride the log cabin ride or whatever it was. And, you know, the funny thing for me in the spiritual life is I think many of us feel like within our own lives that there is a someone standing out there from God saying once you're this tall you can ride the ride like once you finally have it all figured out once you have memorized parts of the bible once your prayer life is now functional and regular once you're compassionate and generous and you've given most of your things away once you're someone who's courageous then you can play your part in God's story and stories like this tell us something really, really different. And what it tells us, it's really not about us. And when we think it's dependent upon us 
and our maturity and us having everything figured out, we are missing out and playing our parts in God's story. When we see that God uses donkeys and half-hearted swindlers, we should experience the openness that maybe, maybe God could even use me. Maybe God could use you. Because I promise you, God's not waiting for you to have more knowledge of Scripture before you are playing your part. That's really important. But God wants to meet you where you are and to place you within God's story, to play your part that only you can play. And I think oftentimes we also need to remember that God is going to use the least likely people around us to speak God's message. So we need to continue to listen to people even though they seem like the other. They seem like they're far out. They seem like Balaam, like they're on the other line. There's us and there's them. And God speaks within us and God does not speak with them. And this passage reminds us that God might even use them to teach us who we are. And I love how stories like this remind us of that and how much better it would be for us to be willing servants seeking to be pure in heart to serve God. Now back to the story. Uh, so we have Balak here. He's overseeing uh, the nation of Israel, part of them, just sees just a little bit of them. And, in, in, and it's like for Balak, I'm sure he's thinking, all right, here it is. Here comes the dynamite. Finally, he's here. Finally, Balaam, he can see everyone. Finally, he's gonna give a curse and then he gives his first message in Numbers 23. Balak brought me from Aram, the king of Moab from the eastern mountains. Come, he said, curse Jacob for me. Come, denounce Israel. And then he says, how can I curse those whom God has not cursed? How can I denounce those whom the Lord has not denounced? From the rocky peaks I see them. From the heights I view them. I see a people who live apart and do not consider themselves one of the nations. Who can count the dust of Jacob or number even a fourth of Israel? Let me die the death of the righteous and may my final end be like theirs. That's a blessing. And Balak said to Balaam, what have you done to me? I have brought you to curse my enemies, but you have done nothing but bless them? And then Balaam says, must I not speak what the Lord puts in my mouth? Like he He's learned the lesson. He's soaked it in. And so Balak says, well, maybe it's a problem of geography. He takes him to another mountaintop, another vantage point, verse 8. And this is what he says there. Arise, Balak, and listen. Hear me, son of Zippor. God is not human that he should lie, not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and not then act? Does he promise and not fulfill? I have received a command to bless he has blessed, and I cannot change it. Which, what he's saying there is, you think that I'm in the, in the business of blessing and cursing, but this is something that God has already done. These people have been blessed, and I cannot change it. No misfortune is seen in Jacob, no misery observed in Israel. The Lord, their God, is with them. God is actually with them. And the shout of the king is among them. What is crazy about this passage is that phrase, the shout of the king. What king is there in Israel right now? None. And God doesn't really want a king. This is actually the first time, potentially, this is the first time in all of Scripture where it is pronounced that God is the king of Israel. The first time that it is declared that God is the king of Israel is from Balaam. This outsider, this half-hearted swindler, and he's declaring God's name. 
It's crazy to me. And then Balak said to Balaam, verse 25, I love what this king is now saying to him, neither curse them at, at all nor bless them at all. What, what he's saying there is just stop. Just stop saying blessings. Go away. <laughs> and he won't. Balaam is just getting warmed up. It gets weirder and weirder. The king then moves Balaam to another location, and instead of seeing just part of the community, he sees them all for the first time. He sees the whole entire nation, and they're camped tribe by tribe. And I, I love what happens within Balaam by seeing this blessed people for the very first time. And by the way, some, some commentators say the way in which they were instructed to camp was in the form of a cross. So seeing this moment in chapter 24, now Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel. And listen to this. He did not resort to divination as, as at other times. What, what that's saying is he stopped depending on his strength and started just seeing who God was. And his face turned towards the wilderness. Remember, what's the name of this book? In the wilderness. This at the very end of their journey, he faces the wilderness and these 12 tribes that have now gathered there on the edge of the promised land. In verse 2, when Balaam looked out and saw Israel and camped tribe by tribe, the Spirit of God came on him, and he spoke this message. The prophecy of Balaam, son of Beor, the prophecy of, listen to this, whose eyes see clearly. The work of God to be able to see the angel, now he's seeing clearly. It's not, it's not the angel, it's that these people have been blessed. The eyes of those who seen clearly in verse 4. The prophecy of one who hears the word of God, who sees a vision from the Almighty, who falls prostrate, and whose eyes have been opened. How beautiful are your tents, Jacob. Your dwelling place is Israel. Like valleys they spread out, like gardens beside the river. Right now they're right along the Jordan River. He's looking at them and goes, this is like a garden. This is like starting all over again. I don't think Balaam knows what he's saying. It's just like, it's just like a garden all over again, like valleys spread out, like gardens beside a river, like aloes planted by the Lord, like cedars beside the water. In verse 9, like a lion they crouch and lie down, like a lioness, who dares to rouse them? I wonder if he's looking at Balak right now. Who dares to rouse them? May those who bless you be blessed and those who curse you be cursed. Balaam right here is just speaking words. I don't know if he realizes, but what he's saying is, I don't have the power to bless and curse. This community, God's people, that's, that's where the power is. And he will say later on this message in verse 17, I see him now. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. What is he speaking about? He's talking, he's like prophetically speaking about the coming of Christ and the star that will break forth one day. And it's just crazy to me that Balaam is being used by God to speak some of the most beautiful prophetic words about God's people. And then after this word, what does Balaam do? turns around and walks down the mountain and goes home. He's done. What does this weird story have to do with our life? Like what, okay, cool, talking donkey, awesome. How does this change how I see the world and how I see myself differently? Well, there's a couple things I just wanna leave with you with that in mind. 
One is, is a window. One thing I want us to just remember in this is that words have power. Words have power. What we see here is this belief that what if Balaam could curse? What if, so it's funny, in most cultures throughout human history, there's always been a belief of blessings and curses. Even now, if you travel around the world, there's still many people who believe in the power of a curse. And if for, if for us in our day and age, we really don't think of that. We don't put much stock in, in curses or divination or anything like that. But one thing I feel like we're guilty of is that we neglect the power of words. How often might God want us to be people who are speaking blessing, but we don't believe that our words can have much impact? How many times do we rush to curse those people who God has blessed when God might want to just shut our mouths and instead we decide to curse? How guilty has the church been of cursing so many people? How guilty Am I of using my words to curse and not to bless? I just want you to just remember this. You know the first thing that humanity ever heard? The first thing humanity ever heard was a blessing from their creator. After humanity was created, God spoke a blessing to him and said, You are so good. And I think there is the echo of that blessing that we are longing for in our life today. And guess who has the power to bless? You, God's people. And what if we saw the world differently? What if we actually believed that we could bless one another in our homes, in our workplaces, that we could see the goodness that God has put inside each other and remind each other who they are? What if we lived with that? Finally, there's a one last warning that Balaam that gives us in this story. And the warning is this. It's interesting. You would think that after Balaam had this profound experience of seeing angels and seeing the nation of Israel and blessing and all these, and hearing a donkey talk, that he would probably live differently. You, that's how you and I might write this story. We too, we might experience the same thing in our life after having impo- powerful uh, experiences with God. But what happens in the story is really profound. Balaam is actually mentioned in Joshua. He's mentioned in Nehemiah in 2 Peter, in Jude, in Revelation, and it's always as a warning. Be careful of becoming like Balaam. After this experience, Balaam uh, left, but he gave instruction to the Midianites who wanted to battle against Israel. And this is what he said to them. If you want to get to the Hebrews, don't fight them. That's not going to work. Don't curse them. That's not going to work either. But one thing you can do, get them to turn on their God. Get them to choose their own curse. And so what Balaam did, he said, here's what you do. You draw them into your temples. And they had this practice in that that country to have fornication around their temple, their pagan practices. And he said, if you want to get them, get them to choose that. And Israel did that. And a plague broke out. 24,000 people died because they they chose a curse. And Balaam was ultimately a curse. What's interesting is later on in scripture when it details the battles with these Midianites and all the different kings that were killed, it had, lists all these kings and it lists the name of Balaam who was murdered as well. Balaam's 
story was cut short. Even though he died with great wealth and reputation and he had moments of spiritual clarity, he neglected a long faithfulness to God to play his part. And Balaam might be closer to me and you than we might realize. We've had our own, many of us have had our own experience of God's grace, but we go in this world and we too forget. But here's the good news. The good news is that we have reason to hope because generations after Balaam's eyes were opened, Jesus was born, the star that was declared in the heavens, Jesus was born, and again and again and again, he came to those people who were blind and he opened their eyes. He came and he restored people. He spoke words of blessing that delivered and freed people to walk differently. He came to people, even like you and me, who have divided hearts like Balaam, and he says to them, he says them words of hope that reminds them who they are. And they saw God. These people, they saw God. And so the call for us is not to forget. Our call is to not forget. And for us to believe in the power of God's word, this blessing that can wash us over again, reminding us who we are, that we could walk into this world as people of hope. Friends, this strange story comes to us today and it gives us this invitation Remember who you are and be people of blessing.